Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Welcome to another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thanks for tuning in, and I hope everybody is having a great holiday season. This this episode is coming to you towards the end of December 2017, although I know a lot of you will listen to it later, but uh, that's when we are releasing this episode, and uh, today, you know, I've been eating Christmas cookies that are not on my diet at all. Like, I gave up sugar and wheat, and I might be mistaken, but I think holiday cookies, Christmas cookies, have sugar and wheat in them. So uh, uh, I've been thinking a lot about food and staying healthy and eating right at the holidays. And so today's guest, I think we're going to have some fun talking about that. Today's guest is Michelle Payne, and she is a certified speaking professional and author. And she is the author of the brand new, soon to be out book, Food Truths from Farm to Table. And she is. Uh, going to join us and talk about her entrepreneur journey. Hey, Michelle, welcome to the show. Hey, Tom. Thanks for having me. Happy holidays to everyone who's listening. Hey, so tell me a little bit about what your business is. It's so hard to describe when I go, someone's a certified speaking professional and author. I mean, that means a million different things. Tell us about your business. Well, it means that we get paid to talk, right? And to write. <laughs> yes. And so basically what I've done for the last 15 years was to build a business around growing the farm and food conversation and being able to connect uh, folks around the bay and have at least one book, No More Food Fights, uh, which Walmart actually just picked up, which is kind of cool. And then, uh, as you had mentioned, my second book is coming out hopefully in April of 2017. And really the focus of that is to help people understand uh, the myths in the grocery store to overcome the guilt and the confusion that seems to plague us all about food. Well, there is a lot of guilt about food because you keep hearing, you know, all of a sudden like cheese is bad for you, then cheese is good for you. Eggs were great for you, then eggs weren't good for you. So it, there's a lot of mis- misconception and stuff out there. So were you always like this food advocate or, or did you start off uh, like with a regular job selling something? Um, well, I certainly started with a regular job. I've actually had several, quote, regular jobs uh, before I started my business 15 years ago. But fresh out of college, I started selling bull semen and cow embryos around the world. I bet you've <laughs> never had a guest tell you that before, have you? No, and I totally set you up because I think that that is the funniest line of anybody I know. What did you used to do? I sold bull semen and cow embryos. You are the first person on the show who has ever done that. That is absolutely Absolutely 100% true. So you've always worked around agriculture and dairy then? I have. I'm a a farm girl through and through. I actually bought my own um, cattle when I was nine years old and still have them running around my front yard per se. Um, So it is a lifelong love affair. And believe it or not, there's a lot of genetics in dairy cattle. There's a lot of genetics in your food. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. But it it does take semen and embryos to reproduce, as we all know. So well, there you go. So so that must have been an interesting job for a young woman right out of college. Oh, the airplane discussions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I want, I want, every, I want everybody was, who's uh, listening, I want everybody who's listening to think about that. You get on the plane, they're taking off, you turn to the person next to you, and they're 20-something years old, and you say, so tell me what you do. I just think that that would have caused some very interesting conversations. It took approximately 7.35 seconds for men in particular um, to turn to me, and usually they would ask, so how do they get it? 
<laughs> and cross their legs before they ask that question. So I won't tell you what I usually respond with, but it, it does raise a valuable point. I think that, you know, people don't understand the technology, the genetics, the cool things that are happening, the business behind their food. Um, there are amazing things. And you know, one thing that Tom, I think you can appreciate it as, as a dad that most reproductive wo- work that has been done in women um, are researched in bovines, which are cows, first, because the, the reproductive systems are so similar. So IVF, um, all the things around um, stimulation and, and so forth uh, have been researched in bovines and are a large part of the reason why we're able to have so much reproductive advancement in women. So that's more than what you probably wanted to know, but there you go. Well, we go down the path of a lot of things on this show, so that that's totally cool. But but what led you from, you know, having a, I would say, a regular job of selling bull semen, what led you from that to becoming an entrepreneur and having your own sort of venture and, and being this advocate for food? Well, after I sold bull semen, I actually went to work for the National FFA Foundation and sold sponsorships or investments in uh, agriculture education. And it was a great opportunity to work with Fortune 50s as well as mom and pop shops. And I very consistently saw, as I had seen in my career at Michigan State, that people didn't understand where their food came from. And so I was an FFA member when I was in high school and went from a a freshman who could not stand in front of her class without crying her eyes out um, whenever I had to talk to competing into the state uh, freshman speaking contest. And I knew when I stood on the stage as a freshman that I wanted to be a professional speaker someday. I never did it, thought that I would do it as early as what I did, but um, because of my experiences in all honesty, selling bull semen and also working for the National FFA Foundation and having a fairly robust exposure to the myriad of agricultural needs that are out there, it just made sense for me to start my own shop and hang out my shingles. So I, like many entrepreneurs, um, went cold turkey. I gave up my nice salary and benefits and uh, started my business and I'm celebrating my 15th anniversary and I honestly can't believe it. It's It's been a wonderful opportunity to serve a cause that's much bigger than me and I'm sure like you, Tom, I, I feel very fortunate that I'm able to serve um, something that I believe I was given as a gift and to be able to hopefully make a difference. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and it is something that I think a lot of people don't think about that there are a lot of industries that can spark all types of entrepreneurship, not just speaking and training and stuff like that. But when you think about it, the agriculture business is a major business in the United States and around the world. Well, it absolutely is. And when you put agriculture and food together, it's nearly a quarter of our GNP. So it's a major economic force. But to me, it's more about being able to reduce confusion around food and around farming at this point, because only 1.5% of our population is on a farm or ranch today. So it becomes very difficult uh, for those folks who are typically fairly busy taking care of their land and animals and perhaps a little stubborn and um, not really used to being in the limelight. It's a real challenge for them to be able to uh, help people understand where their food comes from. And there's so much marketing and misinformation and sensationalism around food and on food labels and through celebrity claims. Frankly, it's kind of crazy because, you know, food's a basic necessity. And as as you well know, I happen to believe that it's okay to eat Christmas cookies. Maybe not in, by the dozens. I was going to say, was, but, a, was a dozen of them before this interview Okay. Well, you know, I'm not here to give you your food permission, but the whole point of my new book coming out is that food is about celebration. It's about sustenance. It's a basic necessity. Why should we feel guilty when we go to the grocery store? 
So and it's about understanding your own standards, your ethical standards, your social standards, your environmental standards around food, rather than having someone else dictate them to you. And also trying to get firsthand perspective on the people that are actually out there raising the food. Um, so I really try to focus on sharing the stories as well as the science um, that's behind food. But you, know, my lead story in the book, Tom, is how my daughter and I eat Cheetos for breakfast when we go on spring break. <laughs> I mean, what a way to lead a book, right? <laughs> You're giving me hope. You're giving me hope that I can have Cheetos for breakfast with my cookies. That's that's really good. So, well, the- there you go. to be honest with you, I don't do this real often, but ice cream is actually my favorite breakfast ever. That's good. So, so your book is called Food Truths. What are some of those truths? What are some things, especially around the holidays? What are some truths that people need to know? Sure. Well, there's actually 25 food truths, and the book walks you through the grocery store to help you understand the uh, marketing and the misinformation that's out there. So one of them that might surprise you is that hormones are in everything. Uh, People have a tendency to be a little freaked out about hormones. I get that on one level, but hormones are necessary for life. Another one specific to the holidays um, is that fat isn't always bad. And that's a real struggle for me because I've always tried to watch my fat. I've always had to work out. I can uh, probably out eat most men out there and I have to work out because I I do eat quite a bit. Um, But it's it's interesting to look at some of the opportunities there is when you work with a dietitian and those that have professional nutrition education. Uh, Another quick food fact that resonates with a lot of uh, folks is that the answer to food waste actually is hidden in your refrigerator. 40% of food in this country is thrown out, and the majority of that is uh, personal refrigerators. And I know I'm guilty of that, too. Well, we do it all the time. We have to have, you know, the day before the trash men comes, you know, it's been a couple of weeks. We go through and clean out going, oh, these these would have been great leftovers. But look, they're three weeks old. Yeah, exactly. So it, it, there's lots of opportunities and challenges. And I think one of my favorite ones is that marketing on labels is confusing consumers. Um, there's just so many claims that are being made out there that it's unfair, I think, to people going to the grocery store. So it, the book is filled with food truths that probably will surprise lots of folks. Um, they definitely fly in the face of what quote, conventional wisdom has become around food, and they get back to some of the basics. And it's really about just trying to simplify your food choices. Because yeah, Tom, if you're going to eat a dozen cookies on a Friday afternoon, more power to you, but I'd be willing to bet you're probably also going to go out for a run tomorrow. Yeah, in fact, tomorrow will be 10 miles. And I actually didn't eat a dozen cookies. That was a slight exaggeration. But I, Oh, I couldn't <laughs> imagine you exaggerating. Well, you better run 21 miles. And how about that? that? That's right. So I, I uh, tomorrow will be a 10-mile run because I am preparing for the half marathon next month. So uh, I figure – I do find that when I, when I run and I exercise and I've been really paying attention to that and really putting in the, like those miles of running, uh, that not only can I eat more – but I actually need to eat more. So I find that there is a balance. But I find that, like for me, normally it's not been cookies. Normally it's, it's sort of meat and cheese and vegetables that I've been craving when I work out a lot. Well, yes. And obviously you need sustenance and you need the caloric intake because I know from coaching cross country what the caloric needs are for teenagers running and they're huge. Um, And we encourage a lot of fiber too. Honestly, grains are actually an essential part of the diet. There's a lot of misnomers out there, Um, but that is an essential carbohydrate. Proteins are obviously very important, complex carbohydrates, and then all the vitamins and minerals and so forth. You know, I am not a dietitian to be clear. I can tell you how everything was produced. I've researched food for many, many years. Um, But the reality is, is it comes down to calories in and calories out. And that's, I cover that in my food philosophy in the last chapter of the book as well. 
Um, because I, like many people, you know, I, I enjoy things like Christmas cookies. I enjoy ice cream, Cheetos on spring break. But the majority of the year, I eat pretty healthy and I work out at least three times a week. So it's it's just about balance and it's about finding what works best for you, which isn't dictated to you by the Kardashians and Gwyneth Paltrow. <laughs> <laughs> well, there is a or lot of there is a lot of be. there is a lot of controversy though around food. So, do you get do you get in some pushback for what you teach? Do you, are there people out there who are like, you know, no, you must eat all organic things where we named the chickens and petted them every day? I mean, do you get pushback from people who have sort of a different philosophy about how people should eat? Well, yes, um, because of the fact that I have worked in agriculture, I represent all sizes and shapes of agriculture. And that means that I do advocate for biotechnology and technology to be used in food production. Likewise, I also advocate for my friends that farm organically. I happen to believe that we all have a choice in the grocery store, just as we have a choice in business, right? But we have a choice in the grocery store. If you want to buy organic, you want to go to Whole Foods, you want to increase your food bill, and you feel like that's the best thing to do for your family, and that's based on your own standards more power to you. Uh, For my family, my standards are such that I choose to most of the time buy store label and I do not shop organically um, because I don't think that the science supports it. But I know exactly where my standards are as well. So I get a fair amount of pushback. And one of the uh, food truths, actually food truth number five, is that organic farming is about production methods, not nutritional value. And I think that's a, a misnomer that many people have is that organic is definitely more nutritious. And I challenge that thinking uh, because the science doesn't show it to be the case. And the production practices um, have some differences. But, for example, pesticides are used in organic production. And, by the way, a cool thing that a lot of folks don't know is that plants actually produce their own pesticides. Um, and so there's some naturally occurring things that are happening there. So I get a lot of pushback um, because many people try to make the claim that I represent big agriculture, which I do not. And I also um, don't necessarily try to bend to all the pressures that we have to do this and we have to do that to be right. Whether on the farming or whether on the plate, I happen to believe it's about choice. So you've been doing this for a long time, and now that you've been working for yourself for many years and you've established yourself as as an expert in your field, what is it that you love about the life of being an entrepreneur? Well, that one's pretty easy for me right now because I have a daughter. I used to call her my little girl, but she's taller than me, so I'm not sure I can do that anymore. Um, So as an entrepreneur, number one, I I love the fact that I get to serve something that is truly much bigger than me individually as a brand. Um, But secondly, I think as a mother, the flexibility that it allows me in my scheduling, you know, it may be that I work until midnight one night, but that also means that I can be there when she gets off the school bus or when I need to go coach her cross country practice at three o'clock the next day. So the flexibility in the schedule, you know, and I have learned over the years to try to balance my calendar. Sometimes I'm more successful at that than others. Uh, So in the winter, I travel like a mad person and she and I show cows, believe it or not, we take cattle to beauty pageants in the summer. And so I take very few speaking engagements um, in June, or excuse me, July and August. So that flexibility is certainly one of the things. And I, I honestly, at this point, Tom, I'm not sure I could imagine working for someone else. Could you? <laughs> uh, you know, I, I don't know. I, I get asked that question. A lot of people I interview say, oh, I'm now, you know, 
fundamentally unemployable. I think if I ever went back to work for someone, I would be the best employee ever after having to like take care of my own health care and my own insurance and my own uh, finances and, and things like that. I think if I had a boss, I think I would like hug them every day when I left just for all the BS you have to do as an entrepreneur. Well, there's that. But see, I also think that I would be the worst employee ever because I would question everything and I would wonder why we're not doing things a certain way. And, you know, I just I don't know. I think it would be a challenge. Now, to be clear, I have an office manager who handles a lot of details for me. And I'm very grateful for that because I know where my weaknesses are. And I think it's really important as an entrepreneur to find the very best team that you can to fill in your weaknesses so that you can really leverage your strengths. So I, I, I want to diverge back to something you said. So is July and August cow beauty pageant month? Is that like the time of year when they show cows? Or is that just when your child's out of school? So that's when you're able to do that. Well, that's when we show cows in 4-H. There's cow beauty pageants, otherwise known as cow shows. So it's like the uh, kennel club shows for dogs that they have after Thanksgiving, right? Okay. So we actually show on colored sawdust, too. Our, our biggest show in the country is World Dairy Expo that falls at the beginning of October. Um, and my daughter got to compete in showmanship there this year. So that was really cool. And 4-H shows typically happen in June, July, and August. And so our particular county fair happens in July, and I'm a 4-H leader, so I help about 50 other 4-Hers get their um, cattle's hair done appropriately. It's like cow beauty salon um, (laughs) before we go to the beauty show for cows. They so should, it they is should make quite a reality. The they should make a reality show about that. I mean, we see all these other things that they've done. That would be fascinating to watch how you get. A oh, cow you ready. want to talk about pressure? You should be um, watching a ten-year-old manage two thousand pounds of cow and um, try to get them all ready. Because I mean, not to be disgusting, but they always need to go to the bathroom at the very wrong time, which is usually <laughs> on the way into the show ring. So you actually have to catch it with the tub, and then you have to wipe them. Oh, great! That's. <laughs> This is going to go down as the best episode ever. <laughs> Semen, Commodore, and Cow Beauty shows. Yes. What more can you ask for? Yes. So, <laughs> so really quick, because you talk about that you're involved with 4-H with your daughter and you coach cross-country for your daughter. How, how does an entrepreneur balance the, the work that has to go into run a business and, and do your own, you know, do the sales and the marketing and, and get clients and, and, and then deliver with being a parent? I mean, this is something that comes up for all of us all the time. Well, I don't know. Have you found the answers yet? <laughs> no, not most days. Okay. Well, me neither. I, you know, and I joke about it. Um, it. It is extremely tough. And as a woman, and I only know being a woman because I've never been a man before, but the balance is, the struggle for a balancing act is really tough and juggling is really tough. I spend most of my days, if I were to be honest, trying to figure out which ball I dropped. Right. Um And that can be very frustrating. But at the same time, I also recognize the flexibility in our schedule allows us to do some different things. Um, I will tell you, I I learned a lot about keeping my pipeline full and making sure that I was taking care of myself um, this last year because I had the unfortunate opportunity to take care of a loved one with cancer. And um, I was writing my book at the same time and traveling and trying to be a mom. And let's just say it wasn't a particularly attractive combination. And resulted in me being down to bare bones, nothing. And I think that's an important experience to share because it's one that I, like most women, don't necessarily remember about taking care of myself. Now, I always work out because it makes me feel much better and I get very crabby if I don't. Um, but aside from that, it's I think it's really tough to take time to take care of yourself. But likewise, you have to take care of your business. And it, um, 
you know, trying to finish a book and take care of somebody who's going through chemotherapy is not a pretty combination. And you throw business in there and it gets even worse. So I think at some point you have to respect the phases that you're in in your life and try to go with the flow, but keep your eye on the ball. Yeah, and I think that's true for men too. I mean, I I went through some stuff where it's like, you're right, you just sort of hit the bare bottom of that bucket and you've just got to just figure your way out of it. And, you know, there's no, they don't teach that in business school if you even went to business school as an entrepreneur. I mean, they just, you know, that's just something you have to learn by sort of the school of hard knocks, I think. Well, right. And I think that's one thing a lot of people who perhaps work for organizations or have real jobs, as you like to say, don't understand. The risk is very real. I mean, I'm I'm the sole breadwinner for my daughter and I. I provide her health insurance. And it's scary. It is absolutely terrifying to not know even after 15 years. So without any risk, there's no reward. But the reality is, is it can be very scary. And it's entrepreneurship isn't always the glamorous thing um, <laughs> that people make it out to be. It's a whole lot of hard work. And it's about trying to keep your eye on the ball and focusing on the big picture always. So, Michelle, what advice do you have for somebody who, who wants to, you know, go out on their own and, and find their own path, whether it's doing something where you're a solopreneur and, and, a, and a consultant or a speaker or a writer, or whether they want to open a bakery or, or whatever they want to do, they just want to create their own way in the world. What advice do you sure. have? Sure. Well, the, the first thing I think you have to do, and this sounds trite at this point, but is to have a burning passion. Um, a lot of people ask me how I found my niche. Well, I was born into my niche, so it, it's really difficult. I have a burning passion for how food is produced and farming and ranching in this country and letting other people know about that. But I have the experience to back it up. So to find your passion, get the experience around that. And I think one of the most critical things that a lot of entrepreneurs miss is, you know, you have a great idea. Well, that's lovely, but who's your target market and what's important to that target market? And that's something that I focus a lot in, in some of the different things in my training work workshops is really understanding who your target audience is and what their hot buttons are so that you can relate to them where they are or you can answer that need. So those would that's typically my biggest pieces of advice that I have for folks. Um, and it, if you're beginning a business, you know, understand it is about balance and it absolutely is about big picture, keeping your eye on the ball and momentum breeds momentum. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Well, Michelle, I've got a couple of more questions for you, but first... I have to thank the sponsor of this episode. So this episode is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. They set you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to make sure that you sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and that technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing cool people like Michelle Payne. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the offer that they have for the listeners of this show. So Michelle, I always ask people when they come on here, how important is it for an entrepreneur to network? How important is it to be involved in your community? Well, I think it's absolutely critical to be able to network and, and, as I've mentioned, I've been a part of agriculture my whole life, but I've expanded my network in recent years to include dietitians and to include others um, that are in like types of roles. And that's been primarily done through social media, which I think is an incredibly important uh, way to network. I work internationally. Um, I've limited myself to North America with my daughter um, being around. And when she graduates, I will go back and work globally. But you know, the challenge for me is, is I don't have time to go to a lot of local uh, networking events in my own state because 
when I'm here on being mom. So I think networking can mean a lot of different things, but I always tell the young people that I work with, it's not just who or what you know, it's always more about who you know. And so being able to have a really good contact management system, which can be a simple, I still 15 years later, honestly, use my contacts um, on my Mac and that's the way we manage everything. And I know that's incredibly simplistic compared to what a lot of folks do, but it works for us and it allows us to stay connected with people. Well, and I'm a believer that, you know, you do what works for you. I mean, that's the that's the whole the whole thing of this is you find what works for you and you do that. Yep, exactly. So I call the show Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. What's the coolest thing you're doing with your business right now? Uh, well, the coolest thing I'm doing is getting ready to launch Food Truths from Farm to Table. I think it'll be out in April of 2017, and I'm really excited about it, um, not because of my name on the front cover, but because I believe that it will give people the permission to be smart about food, to remove confusion from the grocery store, and to um, hopefully take away some of the guilt, particularly for women, on that topic. So that's probably the coolest thing I'm doing, trying to figure out um, we've been doing a, several Facebook Lives from farms recently, and my blog, we're going to start launching videos on that as well. So trying to up our game as far as getting the book out into a different distribution channels and, and whatnot. So that's probably the coolest thing that I've been doing. And you said that your first book just got picked up by, was it Walmart? Yeah, Walmart picked it up this summer. And it's kind of funny because the book was three and a half years old when they picked it up. So they must know something I don't know. So and the first book was again called. So if people are walking through Walmart and they see it, they'll be like, oh, my gosh, I heard her on Cool Things. Yes. So the first book is called No More Food Fights. And it's actually a two-sided book. One side is uh, for the food folks that want to make um, better decisions about their food and have a conversation around food. So it's the five senses plus common sense. And then the farm side, if you flip it over, there's a farm side and there's six and a half uh, ways for farmers and ranchers to have the conversation around food. Yeah. And that book's really cool. Cause like I said, if you hold it one way, it's one book. And if you flip it over, it's the other book and, and that's kind of unique. So I think that that is what I always remember about it. Oh, that's cool. And it has a plate that's broken into a peace sign. Yes. I think yes. that's cool personally. Yes. Hey, so I love to ask the people who come on the show who else they admire, because I think great entrepreneurs, I, th I think they're observers. So who out there do you say, wow, that person's really doing cool stuff? Well, I admire a lot of different entrepreneurs, and I think my entrepreneurs probably aren't uh, nationally known. You know, I, I admire entrepreneurs that risk $2 million um, with Mother Nature, and I admire entrepreneurs that um, have to go out and deal with animals every day. So the entrepreneurs that I admire would be people like Brian Scott, who's here in Indiana, who farms popcorn, corn, and and um, soybeans, and he actually blogs for CNN. I admire entrepreneurs like Barbara Martin, who has an, uh, is transitioning to an organic dairy brand out in California um, and has decided to basically snub her nose at the marketplace and create our own market. I admire cranberry farmers um, like the folks that are up in, in Maine that are out there growing the cranberries that we're enjoying at the holidays. So the entrepreneurs that I admire are those that risk literally millions and millions of dollars um, and are the entrepreneurs that most people don't think about. But having grown up on a farm and having to deal with my own cattle, I know the risks that are taken. So a little bit of a non-traditional answer, but those are probably the folks when I think about entrepreneurship, entrepreneurship that come to mind because they put far more on the line than most of us ever will dream of. Well, it's interesting because you say non-traditional answer, but I don't think that probably, I, I know I didn't, I don't think most listeners, when they think of a farmer, think, wow, they invest millions of dollars in seed 
and then things could go wrong. You could have all kinds of things, heat, rain, floods, ice. You know, you, you don't think about that, that if you get that type of a problem, your investment's gone that year. Yeah, it is. And for the folks that think that farmers are being paid to grow crops by the government, uh, with all due respect, you're wrong, because farm subsidies went away quite some time ago. And and what's interesting is there is crop insurance available. But I actually walked through the numbers because one of the food truths in the, in the new book is that food costs are a shared concern. You know, just because we're out here growing the food doesn't mean that we don't have to pay for it, too. And so I walked through a scenario of an, what an investment on a farm looks like. Huh. And I used traditional Midwestern corn and soybean crops, and I had real numbers from real farmers. And it showed that they were losing several hundred thousand dollars this year. Wow. That's that's fascinating. Well, that's, you know, again, I don't think that that's something that people naturally think about. Those of us who live in cities, we just go to the supermarket and there's our... Well, right. And it's a business and it's supposed to look like Charlotte's Web and we're all petting the chickens and they all have names <laughs> and we're running around with the cows and, you know, growing small patches, right? Yep. That's that's yeah. the way I look at it. Well, I would hope that you will get a copy of Food Truths from Farm to Table because I think it, one of the coolest things about the book is that there's 55 different contributors and I have farmers from every side of the country, dietitians, doctors, Olympic athletes, so forth and so on, um, that contribute to the book. And I think it provides a really interesting perspective. Awesome. Awesome. So the, the, the last question really is, what is it that you do to give back to the greater good? Because in addition to being observers, I think entrepreneurs want to leave their mark in the world. Absolutely. So I do a number of things to try to get back to the greater good. I mean, certainly I, I donate programs and I actually am offering a cause forward award right now in celebration of my 15th anniversary. But probably one of the things I'm the most proud of is the Ag Chat Foundation. Uh, I founded Ag Chat and Food Chat, that's A-G-C-H-A-T and F-O-O-D-C-H-A-T on Twitter Oh, wow. Back in 2009, it was one of, they were two of the first uh, chats. And um, as a result, on the first year anniversary of Ag Chat and Food Chat, the Ag Chat Foundation was launched to empower farmers and ranchers to extend their voice through social media. And so both chats are no longer under my direction. They're under the foundation's direction. And uh, just a couple weeks ago, the foundation had Um, I think it was our ninth conference across the country and had about 175 participants, including folks from Germany and um, the States and Canada. And it was was just really cool to see the influence, too, because to me, I define leadership by John Maxwell's standard that leadership is influence, right? Mm -hmm. And. I always challenge people to think about what are you doing for the greater good? What, how does this contribute to the big picture? Because if you're not influencing others to contribute to the greater good, then I guess I probably think that there's some opportunities there. Um, so it's to me, I really love looking at the Ag Chat Foundation, and I'm still involved on the board of directors there. Um, well, I had the opportunity. Just, I had the opportunity to meet the people with Ag Chat because I was one of the speakers at the conference a couple of years ago. And what was fascinating is when my friend said, "Oh, where are you speaking?" I said, "I'm speaking at Ag Chat," and that's people in agriculture who are on social media. People looked at me like there's a foundation for people in agriculture <laughs> who use social media, and I said, "Yes, there is an organization for everybody." But yes, and it turned out that I learned so much, and and I mean, it really was. You know, really amazing people who were there, and and it was kind of fun to see, uh, you know, you as my friend, what you had founded and how large it had gotten, and and it was just a fun event. 
Well, yeah, and they're fun people. And I think if there was one thing that I wish everybody would know about farmers and ranchers is they're wonderful people. You know, we're doing the best we can. We're just like you. We're moms. We're dads. We're entrepreneurs. We're business people. We're scientists. We've got a lot on our plate, but we like to have a good time. And, you know, we, we like to connect with other human beings. And as I think you saw at that conference, we really like to have a good time frequently. So. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of good food and, and maybe a couple of drinks going on at that conference. Perhaps, it was, it was yes. fun. Hey, if somebody listened to this and they're like, wow, I have to know more about Michelle Payne and, and, and I got to find out more about her up and coming book and et cetera, her business, how do they find you? I am at causematters.com. So it's C-A-U-S-E-M-A-T-T-E-R-S.com is my website, or you are welcome to cro- uh, connect with me across any social media channel. I am at mpain, so it's P-A-Y-N, speaker, S-P-E-A-K-E-R, at mpain speaker. Um, and if you just Google Michelle Payne, it's Michelle with one L, Payne without an E, P-A-Y-N, and you will be able to find me without any problems. I'm always delighted to answer questions from folks that are really wondering what's happening on the farm today. And I um, also would invite you to check out my Gate to Plate blog. Awesome. Well, this has been a lot of fun. It's always fun to have my friends on here. But like I said, this this might be the the one that goes down in history with, uh, you know, bull seeming and, and semen and wiping the cow's butt. I think this was uh, this was <laughs> one for the record. Pageants, that's what you're supposed to remember. But, you know, the cool thing is, is the story behind food. I think a lot of folks don't think about that. And there are really fun things like cow beauty pageants and, yes, semen, too. That's right. And if we learned anything, you can have the cookies and you can have the ice cream and Cheetos for breakfast as long as you do it in moderation. So that was uh, that was good to be reminded and go running tomorrow yep i'll go running 10 miles (laughs) all right well michelle thank you so much for being on the show to everybody who listened thank you i say it every time if it wasn't for the listeners there would be no show so tune in again in a couple days we'll be back with an interview with somebody just as cool as michelle but in the meantime i challenge you go on out there and have a great day Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at at TomSinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.